Well, hey, I don't know about you, but I am thankful um, that even though things continue to look different, that our band is still a, a worship team who can t- still usher us in to the presence of God because they're gifted with what God has given them, and we are so thankful for that. Um, but hey, um, we're gonna start off in a little bit lighter note this morning. I know it's kind of been a little heavy this morning as we've had a lot of burdens uh, to share and to pray for. And, um, but may, many of you always ask, I don't think you really care about anything I have to say, but you always wanna know, do we have any more Cooperisms? Um, if maybe this is your first time coming on today, Cooper is uh, my youngest son and he is in his own little world and he is happy there. Um, so I wanna share with you a little Cooperism um, from this week. You never know what's gonna come out of this little boy's mind or what goes into his mind comes out of his mouth. Um, but it was earlier this week, him and my oldest son, Brock, were riding around and um, we were, had the radio on and we were tuned in to some country station. I have no idea which one it was, but um, we began to listen to a new song that has just been released by Luke Combs. And I think the name of it is Six Feet Apart. And so I'd never heard it and began to listen to it. And I thought, are these lyrics really about the season that we're walking through right now? And, and, it, and it was, it was about us being social distance and, and being six feet apart. Um, and so I could tell that little Cooper over in the passenger seat was thinking about something. And then just like Cooper does, he just says, daddy, you can tell that he's had nothing to do but sit around and write music for the last several weeks. He wrote a song about six feet apart. So that's how Cooper's little mind is wired. Cooper, just to inform you, yes, that is what he has been doing. That's what he continues to do, and he makes a lot of money doing it. Um, So that is another little Cooperism for this week that Luke Combs, he realized, had nothing to do in the the recent days except sitting down and writing music. Um, But but maybe you're joining today because you're really, really excited about where we're gonna be coming from in 1 Corinthians chapter five. If you've been reading along with us in our, in our reading plan, we've just been taking a chapter a week as a church family and reading through the book of 1 Corinthians. And this week was chapter five. And some of you were probably watching this morning because you just wanna see what we're gonna be sharing this morning from chapter five, because we're gonna be talking about a very difficult subject this morning in the looking at church discipline and how we discipline people within the church. But before we jump into that, um, it's always cool how God will wake you up in the middle of the night. I was really struggling um, with what to bring from chapter five and um, had been reading an entire day and really didn't land on anything the first day. But, but the Lord woke me up at three o'clock in the morning. I can't remember what night it was, but he woke me up at about three o'clock in the morning and, and reminded me of a story about my wife. And then what I found is this story sets the stage perfectly for where God wanted us to go for today. And at 3.30 in the morning, God pretty much gave me the outline of what today was gonna be about. But when my my wife was a young girl, um, evidently she had the duty at Christmas time that all of their Christmas gatherings at at her Nana and Papa's house, her job was to go and light all of the candles. So for whatever reason, I don't know if she was late to the party or I have no idea the reasoning behind it, but when Chelsea arrived at the Christmas party, she was very disheartened to find that all of the candles had already been lit. Well, so what she did was she took it upon herself because she wanted to stay true to to what her job was. 
And so she began to wander around the house with a lighter to figure out if there was just some candles that had not been lit. And so finally she found what she was looking for. She entered into the dining room where she saw two candles that had not been lit. And so I guess in her little mind, she thought, okay, here's my chance. I can stay true to who I am and I'm gonna get to fulfill my purpose and light these candles. Well, she takes it upon herself to go and, and light one of the candles and very quickly she realized why these two candles were not lit. Because in the moment of her lighting the candle that she began to light, the paper mache angel that was right beside that candle it also burst into flames. And then in the moment of that angel bursting into flames, then that fire spread over to the curtains. And so it just like that, she went from lighting a candle to watching an angel be destroyed by fire. And now all of a sudden, this fire is, is, is making its way up the curtains in the dining room. And so what my wife does is, is probably what everyone would do, right? We're gonna go call 911, we're gonna scream, we're gonna yell, but that's not at all what she did. She walks over into the next room pretending what just happened didn't happen because she didn't wanna get in trouble for catching the house on fire. So in her little mind, she was thinking, well, if I just don't acknowledge it, then that means it must not really be happening. But thank goodness, maybe for whatever reason, reality struck of that the house was about to burn down because of her lighting candles. So then she began to let everybody know what was happening. But just for that short moment, she tried to play it off in her mind that as long as it's out of sight, it's out of mind. And we don't have to worry about it. But if she would have kept that out of, out of sight, out of mind perspective, it would have led to an absolute disaster. It still led to a disaster. The fire department still had to come. They still had to, to douse the house with fire or with, with water to put the fire out. And I think they ended up losing the front half of the house, but it ended up being a disaster, but it could have been much worse. But this idea of out of sight, out of mind, leads us right into what Paul begins to address in 1 Corinthians chapter five. And so, I'll start out very quickly just sort of giving you the, the context of this part of the letter and just to remind you of some things that we need to be made aware of as we read this, because if you don't read chapter five through the correct lenses, you're gonna, you're gonna have a tainted view of some things. So we've gotta make sure that we're setting the stage properly before we really look into it. But what's happened in, in chapter five is you, you've been reading in first or chapter one, two, three, and four, Paul's been made aware of the sin that's taking place in the church. And so now chapter five lands on a specific sin that he's, a, that he's been a, brought to his attention. And so he's getting ready to go and address this particular sin. But now here's what we have to remember. When you look at this letter, what we have to understand is that this is a letter from a believer, Paul, to other believers. This is not a letter from a believer to lost people or for people who are outside the church. This letter is from one brother in Christ to many other brothers and sisters in Christ. So this is, this is accountability. This is Paul writing a letter to other believers. So we first gotta understand that, that this is not a letter going to the lost. And so let's go ahead and begin to look at what that specific sin was. 
And here's where it's about to get interesting. Look in chapter five, and we're gonna read verse one and two because verse one and two kind of sets the stage for the rest of chapter five. So let's begin reading in chapter, chapter five, verse one of 1 Corinthians. It said, it is actually reported that there is immorality among you. Some of your Bibles probably say sexual immorality. And immorality of such kind does not exist even among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife. Yes, you read that correctly. Someone has his father's wife. Verse two, you have become arrogant and have not mourned instead, so that the one who had done this deed would be removed from your midst. Now, I know that our environments are a little bit different in our homes this morning because you probably got some kids sitting on your right or your left. So I'm not gonna go into all the detail, but, but short of the long, what's happening here is there is a son who is having a relationship with his stepmother, okay? And I'll let your imagination do whatever it wants to with that. But Paul is even so upset about this, or not really upset right now, but he's just so mortified as to what's happening. He's saying, look, you're participating in something that even the Gentiles wouldn't do. And so when he says that, he's saying, look, you're acting like a lost person wouldn't even act. This is absolutely ridiculous. You're doing things that even a lost world would not do. So at this moment, you're hearing that correctly, that some young man is having a relationship with his stepmother. And so I know right now, you're probably sitting at home. If you grew up in kind of the 90s, you're probably already beginning the chant, Jerry, Jerry, Jerry. And y'all know what I'm talking about. If you don't, don't worry about it. Don't go Google Jerry Springer. Um, but that's kind of what this sounds like. Yes, it's disgusting. Yes, even a lost person wouldn't participate in such an event. But what's happening here is what, what, what Paul is so up, yes, he's, he's upset about the sin. But what Paul is more upset about is they're treating this sin, this, this idea of sexual immorality, very much the same way Chelsea was looking at the curtain. The way that she was looking at the flames in the dining room. It's almost like it's out of sight, out of mind. And so what Paul is so upset about is that the church knows this is going on, but the church is doing nothing about it. The church is just letting this sin run rampant inside the church. And so then he goes on and expands a little bit more. And he says, not only are you not doing anything about it, but he says, you're almost becoming proud and arrogant of it. And when you look at what that really means, he means that they're boasting about the fact that they're open-minded with this lifestyle. Does that sound familiar? They're bragging about being open-minded with different type of lifestyles. And so they're not at all concerned about the sin. It's like they're almost to a place where they're so arrogant and prideful that they're thinking that they're untouchable. We've got this church thing figured out so we can handle just a little bit of sin. We can handle just this, this little bit of, of dis, dysfunction because we've got it all together. When truthfully what's happening is they've become calloused to the sin. Probably some of the very same sin that they used to hurt and mourn over, 
Now they've become callous to it and their hearts are hardened to it. And that's even what Paul says there. He said, instead of being proud and arrogant about it, you've got to be at a place where you're mourning about sin, where the sin is hurting because we know that it's not bringing glory to the Son of God. And so on a side note, before we really go in any deeper or any further into this text, I would wonder if you at home this morning, you know, I know that things seem like they're beginning to change. The, the shelter at home thing has been, or shelter in place has been, has been lifted, but, but we're coming out of a season of quarantine, of, of isolation. And I wonder if you would be willing to admit to yourself this morning, have, have we kind of slid back into a place of where there's certain sins in our heart that we've become calloused to in this season of isolation? You know, maybe before COVID-19, you were growing in your faith. You were growing in your relationship with the Lord. You were growing in relationship with other believers. You were moving forward in the direction that God had called you. But since everything has been kind of hijacked, would you be honest enough to say that, yes, you've become tempted with some of the very things that you felt like God had delivered you from and you've fallen right back into those and the question is, is have you become calloused again? You know, we could really stop right here, right now this morning and just pray that God makes it hurt again. That God makes that very same sin that used to hurt, that you've become calloused. And so maybe we need to be on our knees this morning and begging God, God, make it hurt again. Make it hurt again. Because the truth is, is if Corinth, if the church at Corinth had dealt with sin that way, then we wouldn't have to be talking about church discipline that we're talking about today. Because if they had been dealing with it on an individual basis in their own heart, it would have not snowballed and escalated to where it is now. And so my question is this morning, have, have you become calloused to sin? Have you come, become callous to some of the very things that you know don't bring glory to God? Because if they would have dealt with it, we wouldn't have to be going into this next part of chapter five. Because here's where we begin to address how they're going to deal with this sexual immorality. Paul gives them the direction of how they are supposed to sin or supposed to deal with the sin that is in the church. Now here, hear me, understand this. I sin every day. You sin every day. But the difference in, in just haphazard sin is when we're caught off guard, when we're doing things that we get tempted and maybe we find a weak moment and we fall into it. But the, the sexual sin that's taking place here is they're open about it. They have no, they, they don't plan on stopping they just plan on keep doing what they're doing. They're openly living in sin. So there's a big difference in the sin that Paul's talking about addressing here. But here's how he talks about addressing it. He makes four bold statements through this chapter that you have to remember that he's writing to another believer. This is not to a lost person. And so for the sake of time, I'm just gonna highlight these four phrases or four statements that Paul makes on how we as a church should deal with those who are living in sin openly. Verse two, we've read it already. 
he uses the word removed, removed them, meaning ask them to leave the church, kick them out of that local fellowship. Verse five is probably the most in your face statement. Paul says in verse five, deliver them to Satan. Yeah, deliver them to Satan. What he's meaning by that is turn them over to their sin and let them continue living in it. Let them continue living in it. Verse seven, he says that we are supposed to clean out the old leaven. You know, at Passover, at the Lord's Supper, we will take of unleavened bread, which symbolizes that it's without sin. Because we know that if leaven is added to dough, that it will cause the entire thing to rise. And so unleavened bread is the flat bread. That's why it, it looks funny at the Lord's Supper because it doesn't have any ability to rise. And so what Paul wants us to see here is that we're supposed to clean out all the old leaven, clean out anything, because we know that one small trace of leaven has the ability to impact an entire ball of dough, if you would. And so he says that we've got to get that out. We've got to remove it before it infects the entire body. And then he closes it up in verse 13 and he kind of ends the same way he started and he says, remove the wicked. Remove the wicked, get them out. And so on the surface, when we read those four statements, it seems very heartless. It seems very just angry almost. And you're thinking in your mind, well, this is not at all how we as believers should be treating one another. So what we have to see is we have to remember and we have to know about Paul's heart. The heart that Paul had for the church and the heart that Paul had for every individual that makes up the church. You see, he loves the church. He, he gave his life to, to, to build the church. And so we see that when we see his love for the church in verse seven. When he says that we've got to remove the unleavened, we've got to remove all of that, all that leaven, we've got to get it out. And the reason that he says that is because he cares for the church. He doesn't want the church as an entirety to be infected from this sin. So we see the love that he has for the church. But then in verse five, we also see the love that he has for the people. Because if you read that, verse five is where he says, turn them over to Satan but then he follows it up by saying, so that their soul will be saved. You see, he wants salvation. He wants them to be saved. So all that's driving Paul in this idea of discipline is love. He loves the person and he loves the church. And that is the reason that he goes to such extreme measures. And so, we see Paul is addressing, he's addressing the sin on both levels. Now remember, in some commentary I was reading that, that we are led to believe that if you look in Matthew chapter 18, it kind of lays out all of the discipline that's supposed to take place and accountability in a, in a Christian relationship. Meaning that if I see a brother or sister who is in sin, that I one-on-one -on -one go to them and, and I would call them out. I would ask them about that sin that they're struggling with. And, and if they didn't receive it, if they didn't repent, then my duty is to go back and get another brother or sister in Christ. So now the two of us go to them. 
and we address the sin together with the one. And if they still don't receive it, if they still wanna live in rebellion, if they still wanna live outside of what God has ordained for them, what we see now is that's what's brought us to this place, to where we're seeing church discipline at its greatest level because they're not responding, there's no repentance. And so now it's brought to a place where we simply ask them to leave the congregation. But the important thing is, is, is why do we do that? Why would we, why in the world would we ask someone to leave a local congregation? If you remember what we just shared, Paul is addressing the sin on both levels from the church as an entirety, but also the churches or the individual sinner. You see where we get hung up and look, when I say we, I'm talking about me. Most of the time when I see someone struggling in sin, all of my focus goes to that one individual because I love people. And you probably deal with the same thing. But too often times, that is the only element that we are considering is that individual. It's very easy to forget about how, what could happen to the church as an entirety. And so we focus solely on that individual. And because we love them, because we're, we, 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 we care for them, we're afraid sometimes to call it out because we don't want to get them mad at us. We don't wanna upset them. And can you imagine going to that individual and asking them to leave the church? Do you know how hard that would be? Because we love people. But you see our duty, and I'm talking about the church as a whole here. Our duty is to, yes, we want what's best for that individual, but we also have to long for what's best for God's body, for the body of Christ. You know, see if, where we are so almost lackadaisical at times, I, I think would be the phrase to say or the word to say is we treat the sin of people that we love kind of the way Chelsea treated the curtains that were on fire. We just think, well, out of sight, out of mind. When ultimately we know that that very sin or that that very fire, if you would, has the potential to burn the house down. It has the potential to destroy the entire body. And so what we have to take into consideration is what's best for that individual and what's best for the church as a whole. And some of you are probably, you're scratching your head right now going, well, how in the world? How in the world is asking someone to leave the church showing love? How is this caring for them? How is this wanting to see their soul saved? I don't understand that because it, it seems like that they would need to be here with all of us. You see, they've tried all of those avenues. They've tried all of that. So how is asking someone to leave showing them love? If you remember in verse five, Paul said, turn them over to Satan so that their soul will be saved. You see, the, the heart behind that is when someone would be removed from that local fellowship and they were isolated, they were on their own, they were on an island by themselves, 
What Paul's heart is, is that when they are separated from the church, what would begin to, to spill up in, or boil up inside of them, would they would realize how much they miss the church, how much they miss the other body of believers, how they miss their brothers and sisters in Christ. And what Paul's heart is, is when it's taken away, that it would bring them to a place of repentance. And it would leave them almost in the mindset of the prodigal son where he said, hey, go on and have your way. But our heart's desire is, is that you repent and you are made aware of the sin. You are made aware and you become convicted again. And now instead of being arrogant about it, instead of being proud about it, you mourn over it again. And when you become, when you begin to mourn, the Bible says that godly sorrow brings forth repentance. And so when everything is stripped away from us, we realize how much we miss something. And man, you talk about the context of what we're living in right now. Because I can honestly say that you're probably at home in your living room this morning and you probably have more of a desire to be here this morning than you ever have because you miss people. You miss the local fellowship. You miss your brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't know if you've been watching social media, but every video clip, every, every post that somebody puts out, it says, I can't wait to see you again. We miss you. We love you. And they've all got the same theme because we realize how much we miss being together. Just the other day, we were sitting at home and Cooper asked me, he, he said, Daddy, can we go to the church? He just wanted to come up here and look at the church. And so we came in the church and we walked through a little while and we made our way back out to my truck. And I remember just hearing his little voice. He says, Daddy, I miss my church. And you see, that's exactly, I think, what Paul is wanting to happen in these believers' life. He's wanting them to realize what they had. He's wanting them to remember the accountability that they had because truthfully, Yes, I love being with you to worship. I love face-to-face -face relationships. I love seeing each of you every week. And yes, I miss all that. But from a spiritual standpoint, the one thing that God has been teaching me, what I probably miss more than anything is that face-to-face -face accountability. I miss having brothers and sisters in my life that are surrounding me that aren't afraid to speak truth into my life. I miss that accountability. And I truly believe that that accountability is the most important element of us being together. And us as believers, we should desire this tough love. We should desire this tough love for other believers. Because yes, it's for the, the benefit of that individual, but it's also for the benefit of God's body for the body of Christ. We should want people surrounding us that will call us out in our sin, that will be honest with us, that are, love us enough to be honest with us. You see, when another brother or sister addresses maybe the sin in your life or maybe they, when they've addressed the sin in my life, yes, our first reaction is the defense goes up. But what we've got to remember is that the reason they're coming to us is not out of a heart of condemnation, but it's a coming to us out of a heart of love. 
Because yes, they love us. They want us to deal with it. They want us to repent, but they also want to protect the church. And guys, that's our, our calling, is we're to love the church the very same way Christ loves the church. And we should have a heart's desire. We should have a, a burning desire within us to protect the church and its entirety. To protect the church. And you see, in specifics, it's talking here of, of sexual immorality. And it's not like they're looking at sexual immorality as gonna spread like COVID-19 and that it's gonna bounce from one person to the other. It's not necessarily that specific sin, but what they're talking about is if the church is watching other believers sin and nothing's happening, they're not being called out, they're not being held accountable, then how it begins to spread is people become proud of their own sin. And people begin feeling comfortable living in sin. Whatever their struggle is, now instead of being sorrowful for it, instead of mourning over it, they think, well, if they're walking proudly in their sin, then I can walk proudly in mine. And so this is how it infects the entire body of believers. But I think we can all agree that if we love someone or something enough, we will do anything to protect it. If we love someone or something enough, we will do anything to protect it. So here's probably the burning question in all of your mind. Maybe you're sitting there asking the question right now. If you could, you're raising your hand and you're wanting me to call on you. And maybe that question is this, Brian, would you, ask someone to leave the church. And I can be honest, that is a very tough answer. But if it meant someone repenting, if it meant opening someone's eyes, if it meant allowing the scales to fall from their eyes, if it meant someone that had become calloused to now they're hurting again for that very sin, if I knew that me asking them to leave the church would have the potential to save their soul and would leave them to repentance, I love them enough, the answer to that question would be, yeah, I would. Would it be hard? Yeah. Would there probably be tears shed? Yes. Would it break my heart? Absolutely it would. But I also love them enough that I would want repentance, that I would want them to be like that prodigal son and wake up in the pig slop and realize that they were created for more. But I also know that if it protected the bride of Christ, if it protected the church as an entirety, if it had potential to spread like wildfire in this local church here at Chestnut Mountain Church, would I ask somebody to leave in order to protect this flock, in order to protect these sheep? Absolutely, I would. Because yes, I love the individual. Yes, I love you. But quite frankly, I love him even more. 
And my calling in that is to listen to what my father says. And so I know that this is not a fun topic. You know, and by you dealing with your sin individually this morning, because there's no doubt in my mind, the Holy Spirit has spoken to some of you right where you're at this morning, in your living room, your kitchen, wherever that may be. And the reason that he's speaking to you is because he wants you to deal with the very sin that you've become calloused of. And so maybe your heart's desire needs to be pray this morning that, that God makes it hurt again. And if you deal with that, you repent, don't worry. You ain't gotta worry about all this 1 Corinthians chapter five because you're dealing with it individually. And so yes, that's been my heart's desire this morning is for you to examine your heart. But also here's another prayer that's really been on me all week. As I know with church looking different, it could probably get very easy for you to get comfortable doing church the way we're doing church. You know, you're looking at each other right now, maybe your family, you're, you're not dressed for church. You, you probably slept late. You may have even been setting your alarm for 1020. And so you can roll up out of the bed and kind of wander into the living room to watch church today and you haven't brushed your hair. And you know, if we're real honest, some of you probably not even brushed your teeth yet. We'll talk about that later. But I've also prayed for you that you don't get comfortable doing church the way you're doing church because God created us to do life together. God created us to hold one another accountable. I have a hard time holding you accountable when you're at home. You have a hard time holding me accountable when we're separated. And so this morning, I want you to pray that. I want you to pray that you don't stay comfortable. I pray that you have a desire, a yearning, burning to be back in the Lord's house, to be connected with other believers because the strongest thing we can offer one another as believers is accountability. And that's what we miss the most is accountability. And so whatever sin you're struggling with, whatever you've become callous to, remember the potential. Don't sweep it under the rug. Don't think out of sight, out of mind, because whatever it is that the Spirit of God is revealing to you right now, remember that it has the potential to burn the house down. But right now, the Spirit of God is dealing with you because He loves you. And maybe this morning, you, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. You've never been adopted into this family. You say, well, Brian, I need accountability. I need other brothers. I need people around me. Well, if the Spirit of God is drawing you into a relationship with Him, you surrender to that, and then just like that, you are born into a family of brothers and sisters in Christ. But here's what I wanna challenge you with. Let us know. Let us know. You have a conversation with God today, and you ask the Lord to save you. You tell God that I wanna be a part of this family. I want to have brothers and sisters around me. I wanna be birthed into this family. 
And the Bible says that for whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So I want you to deal with whatever the Spirit's leading you to deal with this morning. We're about to sing a song that celebrates the church about us coming together. And so church, I ask you this morning, ask God to make your heart hurt again for whatever sin it is. Don't get comfortable doing church the way we're doing it right now because we need each other. And lastly, if God is drawing you to a relationship with himself, surrender to that this morning. God, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I know it's painful at times, but God, our heart's desire is to see your church thrive. Our heart's desire is to see its people thrive. And so God, this morning, we just pray that you would move in each home right now. And that as you move, we would respond. And so God, we thank you that your spirit is alive and that your word is cutting us today. And we thank you for who you are in Jesus' name, amen.